Hey guys, first and foremost, as always, humbled, thankful for you listening to the podcast. Keep hitting me up on Twitter with feedback. Also, um, really excited about something. Over the last several months, it's become uh, very clear to me that the 4Ds product that VaynerMedia has, the one-day consulting session that's $10,000, that's really... kind of going after a business doing a million, maybe 500,000 to 20 million a year in revenue has been really working. We 60 to 70% of the businesses have had ridiculous uh, ROI from the session. And so now I'm rolling it out because it clearly works. So VaynerMedia is uh, super proud to present uh, uh, the four Ds, uh, the daily digital deep dive, GaryVEE.com slash four D the number 4D podcast, GaryVEE.com, 4D podcast, if you're ready to take your business to the next level. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Because we're going to be I know we said we weren't going to have any speakers at this event, um, but I didn't say Q&As. Um, so we were very, well, super grateful that uh, Gary was able to join us. Most of you, anybody not familiar with Gary? It's okay. a pretty tuned in audience. It, it motivates me. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people, obviously there was a little bit of a procession when he was coming in, almost like a wedding or something like that, <laughs> but uh, super excited. Gary's here for, for just a little bit. I know he has a, a conference call right around the corner, so um, we're just going to go right into a Q&A. Gary's amazing when it comes to rants. It's funny how I actually decide on Gary. We did a comedian in year two of Mastermind Talks during a dinner, and it was so well received. And I was like, man, it'd be great to have like a comedian who's actually could deliver like great <laughs> business stuff. And I was like, Gary's hilarious. So <laughs> that's why we have Gary here. So ladies and gentlemen, no introduction needed. Gary Vaynerchuk. Thank you. Thank you. Super pumped to be here. Obviously, a lot of friends that I, I know intimately, so that makes it a, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, a, a lot of what I've been focused on for the last couple years has been to actually push my brand into a place where I could go to an event and just do Q&A, which I think, at the end of the day, knowing so many of you, you know, I'm always and will always be concerned about can I bore people? Can it become boring? I mean, and as the, and there's a lot of you that really know me. The truth is, there's so few things I believe in. There's really only three or four true pr- kind of like principles that I believe in. Luckily for me, and luckily for so many of us, we got to live during this era where everything changes so much. I'm baffled by people not understanding what happens when we move to a Snapchat universe. All the same that happened on every other platform that had people's attention, whether it's print or radio, television, or Facebook. So for me, thank God that the market's gonna move on an everyday basis, and thank God people get old. And what I mean by people getting old is at South by Southwest, um, it was funny, Chris Saka exposed this thing in his big Vanity Fair piece, which we make fun of, but for years we had this very small group that at South by would get together at like midnight and go like literally just a small hotel room, just sit there, and we would basically, we called it the jam session. All it was was literally, is Pinterest worth a billion dollars? What do you think's gonna happen with Uber? And we did that for seven or eight years, and it was really interesting to see where people were right and wrong, and it was just amazing debates, and I learned so much. But to me, the Q&A and the banter and the content um, is, is so imperative, and it was two years ago at the jam session where literally the founders, the founders of Twitter 
and Instagram and these tools poo-pooed Snapchat and, and, and like just really, it was like, it was crazy. I was literally emphatically yelling at them like you guys changed the world and everybody said the same shit about your product five years ago. How did you get so old so fast? And so, um, you know, obviously whether it's entrepreneurship or investing or running a company, I, I think for the people here that have had the time, because I know so many of you are so busy, in the last six months to a year I've been spending a lot more time on what really has allowed me the privilege of standing in front of you, which is I'm not really IQ strong. I'm really probably, I, I would actually argue that I'm probably below average to average on IQ, but I do think my parents blessed me with over the top EQ and my emotional intelligence and, and self-awareness and empathy and the way I built my, you know, the reason VaynerMedia's gone from 30 to 650 people and hasn't broke is predicated so much on EQ and then consumer behavior, like projecting what I think you guys are gonna do before you realize you're gonna do it has a little bit to do with that stuff as well. So, um, thrilled to go anywhere. I'm really excited to do Q&A and thanks for having me. So, are you guys gonna mic it? You're gonna run it? Corey, let's, let's just get into it. I'm just Cam- n- name and question. Cameron Harold, they've got a question regarding second in command. I ran a session today about your chief operating officer. I wanna know who's running VaynerMedia for you and what makes the relationship between you and that person so strong? So that's an interesting question and an interesting time to ask that question. This Friday, my brother AJ, who's been the COO of VaynerMedia from the beginning, is leaving the company. I think some of you might have read about a month ago, AJ finally announced, because he's been very private about it, my brother has Crohn's disease. Um, and, you know, truth is, and, and I know some of you know AJ, AJ and I are really different, you know, just like, you know, I'm much more, um, I mean, AJ's thrilled to have his seven friends, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm desperate to, like, be deep friends with every person in here. Um, and so we're, you know, uh, so AJ was no question, you know, the COO of the company uh, for the first five or six years. Over the last year and a half, we knew this was coming, so we commoditized him out. Um, there's a guy by the name of James Orsini who ran, you know, for 25 years, ran big agencies, Saatchi and Saatchi and things of that nature. Um, you know, the truth is, and something I've been talking a lot about with my own friends, not as much publicly, um, maybe John, very few people know this in this room, maybe one or two. I'm a, I really run VaynerMedia. Like, I'm, like I think because I play Gary V as my side hustle um, and, and because I'm good at it and because I work 18 hours a day, a far majority in this room, including people like Dan, like people like Yannick, like people that I really know, I don't think really understand how much I actually operate the business. And so um, for me, every operational decision runs through me. I've, I've got a lot of context on it, I'm there. Um, and I think, I think the key, and I'd be curious and we can maybe talk afterwards, I think the key for me in having a number two or a number three is less about them running it in the way that you framed it, it's more about them complimenting the things that you're not good at. Like I'm very self-aware, right? Like for example, the, like knowing that 20% of you a lot of you don't know me, but I know, knowing the ones that know me, knowing that 20% of you didn't even like me on first impression at a conference or things of that nature, like self-awareness is imperative and as an operator, I'm very self-aware and I know what my shortcomings are um, and so I think for anybody here that's looking to scale, um, I think there's way too much pride 
uh, in this collective room, like nobody here is good at everything and that's super real and I think we all know that and we have strengths and weaknesses and I think I've been a guy and I've watched a lot of companies do this at scale, I really believe on tripling down on your strengths. I do not, I'm not a big fan on working on your weaknesses. I think you have to be dangerous in your weaknesses. Like, I'm not a dope when it comes to the finances or the other things that I don't wanna do, but I'm far from being interested in being world class in it. It just doesn't leave enough room for you to be world class at what comes natural to you, which is always gonna have more upside. So, so it's been AJ, it's gonna be James. I'm building something else, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of you that have bigger organizations, if you're not in a solo entrepreneur land and if you run companies, one of the things that I realized and I realized I did at Wine Library and I'm gonna make it official at VaynerMedia is I'm gonna create something called Office of the CEO. So there's gonna be these six people and they're my family, they're the inner circle. They're the people that nobody else in the company tells anything to because they know the second they tell them they're gonna tell me. Right, They're, you know, everybody's got that inner circle, and they, and by the way, some of them are ranked number five in the company, and another person might be number one seventy four salary level. So now I'm going to make it official because they just help me scale. When there's that level of trust, I think sometimes people silo a level of trust just to your right hand right, woman, right hand man, like one or two people. I actually am looking for scale, and so I'm going to build a five six person team that basically is just gonna take care of the thing that's the most important to me right now. Like we're, we're, we just landed one of the biggest banks in the country, I can't even announce yet. One of the biggest banks in the country, it's gonna be 30% of our revenue. It's an enormously big client. I really need to make sure it goes well. I need to put everything on it besides the great team I put on it. So they'll keep an eye on that. And then they'll keep an eye on this one employee that I think is a superstar and they're gonna vet it. And you know, so um, the other thing I would give a recommendation to that has I think thematics into where you're going is, uh, building an inner circle that everybody in the company knows is you. Just like, even the five people within the organization won't, in that group, won't even have a title within it. It's just gonna be, that's what they are, office of the CEO, and so, something to consider that I see a lot of value in. Thanks for the question, man. David Osborne, Osborne, are, are, you, are you literally that lazy, or just? No, you couldn't go, you couldn't go there? Or? Yeah, gotta fix it up front. Just gonna stay up here? So, <laughs> David Osborne, Austin, Texas. Two questions. Yeah. One, why? What the is Snapchat, man? I got on it because you told me to get on it. I still don't know what <laughs> it is or why I'm on it. I know a lot of young people follow me, and I got no That's idea. That's a very why. common marketer's question right and now. The second one is, what do you invest in outside of Vanner Media? Do you put money in anything that cash flows or anything like that? Got it. So, um, so I'll answer the second one because it's just very detailed. I, I had a $25 million venture fund called Vayner RSC. I'm closing one called Vayner Capital that I'll be announcing in the next month or so. It's gonna be a 55 to $70 million fund. Very different, Vayner, Vayner RSC was 25 million where I made 100 investments. So a lot of different things, more angel investing like I used to do. This new one, I'm gonna raise 50 to probably, it'll probably end up being 60, 70 million dollars. I'm probably only gonna invest in 10 companies. So it's gonna be much later stage and I'm gonna use VaynerMedia and its capabilities to help the outcome of companies that are further along. So I've always angel, I've made net net between Wine Library which has been a very successful business for a very long time that I get income from because I ran it into a family business. Vayner, you know, I get seven figure book advances and I get paid six figures to speak. Like with all that lucrativeness the investment in Uber and Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr 
and Buddy Media, th- those are gonna end up making me the most money. Um, so that's, that's what I do. Um, and then, but I really truly see myself as an operator. You know, I, I, I really, I will never not run a business. At scale, by the way. I'll never, I'll, I, and this is a fun thing to say in this room, I'll never be Gary V full time. Like, even though it's gotten to a place and it's starting to get to a place where I think I could make a lot, a lot of money doing it, it's, it, I just really enjoy running businesses. Um, Snapchat is very simple. I mean, it's just, it's just attention arbitrage, right? It's, um, it's a platform that people are consuming their content from. There's nothing else to say. I, the stories, have you gotten to the point where you understand? That's the news feed. It just looks a little bit different. You know, it's interesting. If you take your phone right now and look at every social network, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, if you consider it that, Pinterest, um, you know, like if you, if you literally put all seven of the things we grew up with, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, they all functionally are the same. It's basically one hardcore piece of content and then social commentary in one shape or form and then you just go this way. Snapchat has been the most confusing because it had a totally different UI, UX experience left to right, up and down, very confusing. Um, what's interesting though on the flip side is if, you, if we were to go, and I'm actually thinking about making this video because I've just realized this, through friends and family that are what I call normals, not in our world, just like kids I went to high school with, right? If you go, if you go to Times Square right now and you give 20 people Snapchat that have never used it, within an hour, they, and if you help them, within an hour, they really understand it. And just to give you context, that never happened with Twitter. As somebody who's like grown up in this the last 10 years, normals never fully, fully understood Twitter and, and they really understand Snapchat and they're addicted to it. And so, just another place for people to create content, okay. you know? I think, I think the bigger thing, to, the reason I'm so on it and the reason in December and January I got very loud about it, even though I've been talking about it for two years, is DJ Khaled was the cherry on top of understanding, and we kind of started talking about it at Vayner in September, 30, 40 year olds are starting to use this, and for real, and this is how they all go. When they, when they go, either they start in a tech nerd environment or a kid environment, right? Then they bubble up, and then the first thing you'll notice is 30 to 40 year olds in New York, San Francisco, and LA using it. And then that will happen in the middle of the country. And then it'll go 40, 50, 60, 70. Snapchat's already bigger than every other social network that's come before it, except for Facebook. Already, right now. I mean, Instagram, yes, but like Instagram's such a weird one because it got bought 500 days into its life cycle. And so you never, you know, it, got, it got vigged so much by Facebook and so, um, it's just an important place, man. I, I, for this room, there's no more important place right now to figure out how to storytell and do what you do, how you communicate, what you sell, except contextually you have to figure out how that works in a Snapchat environment because the biggest fear I have for people that are entrepreneurs, growth hackers, smart, doing their thing is we are going to not a mobile first world, we're going to a mobile only world, right? Like I'm on a three day business trip right now no laptop, this is it. That blows my mind. Like, I'm literally not, I mean that's just crazy to me that I don't have my laptop. I'm running business, like I do stuff. This is not like, you know, like, like and so 
There's a lot of people here that rely on their tactics in a digital environment based on landing page optimization and all the things they think about in a desktop universe. And so, A, what you're doing on your website and how you're storytelling to the world, you have to figure out mobile only, and B, and probably more importantly, as you guys know, it's being contextual and relevant in all these other channels as well as being relevant in your home base. And so, that's that. Hey Gary, my name is Zach Obrant. Uh, The question is, I've heard you mention before that you think of VaynerMedia as like 650 people to leverage you. Yes, um, the scalable version of my yeah, marketing so, so talent. What's, yeah. what's the thinking both from a why perspective and a how perspective of doing that versus the more typical agency model of trying to remove yourself or make it more self-sufficient without you? Well, it is self-sufficient without me. And why don't you hold the mic because there might be a detail here. Yeah. It's fully self-sufficient without me. I think, again, in the same way as your first question, again, this is, I always think the paradox of how I run and like what I'm excited about to keep you interested for 10, 20, 30 years, like most of what it looks like is going on isn't. Like, I think you'd be very fascinated by the fact that, I don't know, of the $100 million in revenue VaynerMedia will do this year, 60 or 70 of it almost has nothing, like I, I don't even know the clock, like nothing. Like, they're not buying Gary Vaynerchuk. They all, like, they, of course, once in a while they may think that, but we're very clear that this is an agency. Um, so it's very self-sufficient without me. Um, but why it's the scalable version of me is the craft that the agency is doing. Meaning, we're leaving a ton of money on the table by not doing banner ads, by not doing search, by not doing a ton of We probably left $25 million straight up on the table by not wanting to build websites. So when I say it's a scalable version of me, my main plan seven years ago was, how am I gonna buy the, as I started meeting Zucks and Travis and Zuck, I was like, I'm not these guys. I'm just, this is not who I am. And back to self-awareness, I'm like, so I'm not gonna make my money the way they're gonna make their money. So seven years ago, I'm like, how am I gonna buy the Jets, right? And so, (laughs) and so, And so I decided that what I was better at than all of them was I could sell better than them and like stuff. And then I kind of gave it a lot of thought for a year and I said, huh. There was this guy by the name of Dean Metropolis. He's just a private equity guy, but he did something I believe in. I'm a very big believer that nostalgia is the most underpriced asset in our society. It's, for example, had I been further along, and I wouldn't have seen it, but had I been further along, it would have made sense for me to buy Marvel in bankruptcy and then make it into movies and make a trillion dollars. That makes sense to me because the Hulk has been around for a while. Like, Spider-Man matters. So, Metropolis bought tuna under the sea tuna fish. He bought Paps Blue Ribbon beer. He bought Bazooka Joe gum. And then he just built, runs them better and flips them. For me, I want to buy brands like Snickers or Puma or Lacoste or I don't know, Timex like I, or Peter Pan peanut butter. I want to buy brands that have been neglected and underpriced, run them through the VaynerMedia machine and then flip them because those are the kind of things you can, like I can buy a business for $80 million and sell it for $4.6 billion if I can do what I've done in two businesses that I've ever run which is grow revenue extraordinarily quick. So. That's what I set out to do, which meant I was gonna have to eat for 10 years at the height. And again, Dan, a couple people here, you guys knew me, like I had a lot of leverage in 2007, eight, nine, 10, like I was in it, I was in it. And 
when I announced VaynerMedia, Zucks texted me and said, what are you doing? Like, building an agency, client services? Like, I was a disappointment to all my tech titan friends. I mean it, like, like straight up disappointment. But, but I was like, cool, like, you go do you and make trillions and change the world. I just need to make four billion and buy the Jets. And so this is the only way I know how to do it. And so it took a lot of humility and patience to get here seven years later and have what I have. It also took the fact that I had to know that my people skills were much better than everybody else's so that I'd be able to keep, because my vulnerability is they can leave tomorrow. I'm not building a product, I'm not in the SaaS business. Like, but I also had enormous confidence in my ability on a people level. And so that's where we're at. And so that's what I mean by that. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, I'm, hey. Uh, I'm bengreenfieldfitness.com slash Snapchat. <laughs> um, on page seven of your book, which I've owned for about 10 minutes now. Yes. It rocks. Uh, you talk about how one of the biggest lessons that you learned in 2015 was that you had to start taking better care of yourself. Yes, health-wise. And I'm, I'm curious to get a little bit more the, the nitty-gritty details about that. Like, what did you do as a busy family man, entrepreneur, to start taking care of yourself? Uh, well, John, why don't you come up here and why don't we tell this story together? I was hoping you'd say that. You got it. Yeah, let's get a mic for this man. This man has a lot to do with it. Let's clap it up for this guy. Guys, so this is very exciting. I'll let him take over at some point because he'll know where to take over. I'll give you the context. Basically, um, super random, like just random flight from San Francisco to New York. I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you know, when when am I going to take care of this health thing? Like, I know that it's not right. I know I'm not winning. I know that you know. I I got into a good place in my head around my health where I looked at it like a business. And I said, I'm not doing the behavior that's gonna make me successful. And eventually this is gonna catch up. And the weird thing is, it got to a place where I was like, wow, I don't do anything right. I eat like I've never worked out once in my life. And somehow I can literally work 18 hours a day and not be tired. And my fat is equally proportioned through my entire body. So it's hiding <laughs> how fat I, and, and like inside I must be a, I mean, I'm, Yokozuna from WWF, but it's not like, you know, and so I just started talking to myself, I talked to myself a lot, and I was like, you know, I need to address this. So that's what I said, and then the flight's delayed. Super funny, it happens, no big deal. And I'm just talking and talking, and I was like, you know what? When I turned 30, I freaked my with Wine Library, and I started Wine Library TV, and like, got into tech and like completely changed my behavior on my 30th birthday. Driving to Wine Library, looking in my rear view mirror, I'm like, literally, this is what happened. My birthday, my 30th birthday, I looked myself dead in the mirror in my drive, in my rear view mirror and I said, you're full of And what I was saying to myself, talking to myself, I was like, you say that you're gonna buy the New York Jets? None of your behavior maps you pulling that off. And so if you're gonna do it, you better do it. You better lay down some serious foundation from 30 to 40 because family's coming and all this, right? So I said to myself, wouldn't it be romantic if on my 40th birthday, because I don't think I need another, what am I gonna work? From 19 hours a day to 24? Like, I was like, you know, that's not gonna be it. I was like, you know what? Health, that'd be a really good one to address. Let me get my 
together there. And literally before the flight took over, I said, because this I was 38 and four months old, I was like, I'll just, why wait to 40? I'll do it at 39, right? And, and then literally I was like, you know what? I'll do it as soon as possible. And so that happened about a year and a half after we met where I tried my first version yeah. of what I just told you which was I decided to go the peer pressure route and I publicly tweeted and Facebooked that I wanted to get a trainer. That's when you took over. Yeah, so we, um, this is 2011, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, 12, maybe 12. It was was right when uh, Thank You Economy came out. Okay, Yeah, so 2011-ish. And Gary and I met, he was giving a talk at uh, the Apple Store in Soho. I went down in my jet skier, um, (laughs) which is not just like me blowing Gary, I just, a big, Jets fan, to my everlasting dismay. And um, so we met, we chat a little bit, um, just, you know, rapport, building relationships, and um, as most people do inappropriately, he commented on my physique, turned out I was a trainer, gave him my card, which he then lost. A couple of weeks later. I threw it out. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, like, at that point, I was like, 2011, John, I was like, oh, I'm super professional business cards. I should have just tweeted at him. But... Um, and then, yeah, he put up on Facebook that he needed a, a trainer. And um, so people did what is inexplicable to me. People who follow Gary, instead of like leveraging what they do, they all just jumped on that Facebook thread, pick me, pick me, pick me. And you know, the shit that Gary talks about not doing. And so I was like, that. And I just posted on my Facebook and sent like everyone on my page over to blow up his thread. And so like then I got an email like, Maybe 20 minutes later from Phil Toronto, who uh, was, the, was then Gary's assistant, and like that Monday, we're, I was in the gym with Gary. So the plan initially was to train four to five days a week for an hour, and then Gary made it a habit of canceling on me at least three times a week. And, uh, and I let him off the hook. It was just like, it was really cool to be working with Gary, but we did a lot of work together. And uh, then... That story, I'll jump in. Yeah. So that's right, because by the way, and I talk a lot about it in business, I know for the some of you that are following along, I talk about religion over tactics. Like, I just wasn't in the religious place to take care of my, my health with him. I was half pregnant. I was like, you know, that's why I canceled. I mean, the, I, I'm publicly saying I never get sick. He's supposed to work out with me at 6.30. At 6.22, I'm like, dude, I'm so sick. Yeah, I was, sick. <laughs> I was like, already in a, I was like in a West Village at the time, going to the Upper East Side, like a $40 cab, but it's like, this we, it's, like, we, it's cool, bro. We, we built a really nice yeah. relationship. And when and I made then, that decision, the first thing I did was call him. Right. So and he, I said, I need your help. Yeah. And what my plan was, was what I realized, by the way, in that moment, was I was not held accountable to myself. Right. And so he called me and he said, I have this crazy idea. Tell me if it's retarded. What I would like to do is hire someone to be completely in charge of my body. I want to bring them on full time as a as staff. And they want, they're going to be in charge of my food. They're going to travel with me take care of my workouts and everything. And I said, I think it's a great idea if you don't cancel on them all the time. And, uh, but you also, you have to find someone who's good. You, you know, you, you gotta like, someone who sits in the Venn diagram of being good enough for me to feel comfortable recommending them. To get, I, I had lived, I had moved to LA at this point. I was no longer eligible for this job. Um, and they have to be good enough. They have to like be at a point in their business where it makes sense to only have one client. It, it needs to make sense in all these different facets. And so the only guy I could think of was a, a kid who had started as an intern for me, became my protege, and then started his own business, Mike Vacanti. And so Gary had trained with him briefly. Um, and then that was even worse. And he was yeah, he four, like, months, like, like, four months, like four months, like three sessions. 
And so I was like, Michael, kill it for you. Um, he, he really is, he's a great trainer and a phenomenal dude. And I knew that he had the right, he had the right metal to be able to work with Gary and travel with him 300 days out of the year at points. And, um, and so that's how it started. And so Gary, uh, Mike became the, the CEO of Gary's body. And since then, Gary has, has made tremendous physical changes and it's also given him a lot more energy. And that's more or less the genesis has not, of that. Has not given me more energy. I'm, I'm just the, fully, <laughs> fully like, wanna, like, has not. Now. He's, he's now. less, he's no, less no. broken than he no, was. No, I mean, look, look. I mean, do I expect a 57 or seven? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not naive that there's so much good that's supposed to happen, but like, I never want to say things that haven't happened. I don't have more energy. What I do have is, at least my left glute is now active. That's so, true. <laughs> was not active That is something I have now. Who knew that a glute could go so inactive? Yeah. So go sit down, that's I got more to do. There you go, man. Thanks, good to see you. Thanks. 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 So. It was, the answer is, it all, and this is how I believe about every business. Like, I talk a lot about fitness entrepreneurs who are so good about their physique and their regimen and all that, but then in their business, they're looking for the secret or the 12 courses that don't let them do the work. Once I made the religious decision to do the work and I had one interesting unlock that maybe can help you in some way, I figured out in that really zen place, I was like, it's because I'm not competitive with myself. I don't give a shit if I run four minutes and nine seconds and yesterday I did 4.11. Like, I'm competitive with everything in the world but myself. And so I realized I needed to be held accountable to another human. I work out every single day and don't cheat and do, like I've been unbelievable because I don't want to let Mike down. And because I know every morning I'm gonna sit, go on the scale and Mike's gonna know. Like there's, I've suffocated myself. And now it's, and by the way, Mike's, Mike's tenure of two years all in is done July 7th. I'm a new guy starting and for three years. And, um, and I'm, tell, I'm, I'm very comfortable saying this. If I was ever to stop doing it, I would re- revert back. So many people after six months or a year like, all right, Gary, like, you don't need Mike anymore. Like, you got it now. I'm like, absolutely not. It's the accountability to another person is what was the breakthrough for me. Cool. Yeah, you got it, brother. Hi Gary. Hey, man. Uh, I'd like to ask about chatbots. Do you think that's going to be the next big thing? Should we be investing just in chatbots? Like bots in general? Or like Messenger, messenger yeah. as a platform and Yeah, I mean, look, it's it. huge in Asia. There's enormous opportunities for bots to uh, make life more scalable, things of that nature. So, yeah, do I think bots in messaging apps are a pillar? Yeah, I do. And I think it's going to take three, four, five years for it to be like at real scale. But it's like talking about search in 01 or email in 96 or social in 07. I think it's a real genre. And here's what's more important. It's kind of like Google Glass or other things that have not worked out. Whether it works or not, AI and like automation will never stop. We're gonna become robots. So whether bots on Messenger become the way you win is far more irrelevant than the fact that you get the taste of what the concept is so that if in two to four, seven, nine, 14 years from now, it's VR augmented execution that breaks through for you. The thing that me off is how many of you have not used Snapchat because you think it's a waste of time in case it's a fad and you don't realize that tasting the execution sets you up for the next thing. I wasted, I wasted a load of time on social cam because it was a fad except 
It taught me 90% of what made me successful on Vine and Instagram video and Snapchat. And so, please, enough of like, well, what if this is here tomorrow? Who gives a It's here right now, milk it for what it is, learn what it means, and it's gonna iterate on top of that. And that's, and that's why I think bots are massively important for this group, not because you figured out what bot to make on Slack or on Facebook Messenger to build your business, but because you'll learn what bot thinking is, how humans interact with augmented, and then like learn from that and ideate. You got it. Hey, I'm Dave Asprey, the Bulletproof Coffee Guy. Hey, man. Hey. You mentioned earlier when you were hiring a personal trainer, CEO of your health, pick me, pick me, pick me, all over the place, right? I'm dealing with the same things. What do you do to prevent the people from coming into your circle who are there as basically brand parasites? They want to be there for three months or six months, say, hey, I work for Gary Vee, right. and then go out and build their own brand and probably steal half your shit. Like, how, how do you get around that? So, first of all, I get around it by not being crippled by it. So, I'm just not worried about it. Like, it's, it's a cost of entry, and it's a byproduct, and actually, I lo- I'm actually flattered by it to be very frank with you. So mentally, that's where I'm at. Number two, I'm never worried about stealing. Like, it's interesting that you brought that up. I try to give away all my all the time. Like, to me, one thing I've learned is that 99% of people won't do anything with your information anyway. It's, it's all execution, and especially what I do for a living, I'm trying to figure out new platforms of attention quicker and better than the market. So, I mean, by by the way, pre-roll YouTube video. There's nine years of content of me saying it's except six months ago, Google changed it and now you can target people's Google search behavior in pre-roll video and all of a sudden it's good because I know exactly what your intent is. I don't give a about Google's demographics, no longer am I crippled by are you really a 33-year-old African-American female in Houston? I don't give a I know that you searched the Houston Rockets, so I got what I need, right? Um, So, you know, the truth is, I've got it in a mental box where, like, I understand. The one that's probably bothered me the most is jab, 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 right hook. So I wrote a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. Give, 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 and then ask. Unfortunately, so many, think it's give, 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 and then take. Even more scary, I don't like when I watch people give me things I don't want and then expect me to give them things and then be like, what up bro, jab, 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 right hook. I'm like, you dude. Like, like I didn't want you to send me your t-shirt. Like, I, I don't consider your piece of t-shirt a jab, face. So, so, got it? So. I would say look, and I think more importantly, I'll give you one other slight tweak that I actually think is more helpful than anything I've said here, and this will help a lot of you, I hope, because it's been huge for me. It's never the hiring. Too many people here are crippled by hiring and making the right call. It's about the firing. So, so if you're gonna let somebody into your inner circle, don't worry about what their intentions are or if they're full of shit. Once they get in, if you can taste it, get them out. Got it? Thank you. You got it, brother. Hey, Gary. My name's Dev. I'm a search guy. And I wanted to ask, what are some of the keys to new business growth at VaynerMedia? You guys, like, scaled immensely fast um, over the years, up to 100 mil, right? So what were some of the keys that basically led to that growth in new business? 
Um, the pillars that got us there were number one, culture internally. Because I think, so I'm a big fan of B and C players. I'm gonna give you a lot of things like the hiring and the firing. Another one that I think has that same ethos is I'm actually very fond of average players on your team. If you're going for scale, if you're gonna build a four person company, you all have to be ninjas, I get it. But if you're, but if you're, if you're building a 700 person company, you don't have 700 A's. As a matter of fact, if you really break it down, anybody that works for somebody else isn't like you. There was no me working for you. So, so number one, it was the acceptance of not being crippled. First, hiring ultra fat. Oh, the hiring process at VaynerMedia is, are you alive? You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, the inside, like, the truth is, it got a little bit better than that when I got out of the equation, but when I hired employee 30 to a buck 50, people barely got off the elevator and I was like, here's your punch card. You know, like, like people were like, especially people that, a lot of the early people like knew who I was and they thought it might be hard. I mean, they couldn't believe, I was like, you like sports? Nah, you're hired. <laughs> like, it was just like, it was just whatever because I, I realized we were growing. And, and here's something very interesting. One thing that you have to understand is you can't be the judge and the jury for the market. One of the reasons I grew it so fast was we were so ahead of the market with social media marketing and strategy that even if they were B and C players, I knew they were A players to the market. So my B and C could walk into Campbell's soup and seem like a super A. So I think one of the things that, if you're great at search, what you need to understand is who you're selling to may not be as great as you are, and not that you, and, and please, I wanna make sure I'm being very, this is what's great about having time to give these detailed answers. I'm not talking about selling stuff you don't believe in. You gotta understand, a lot of people, in, so I had, re, you know what's funny? I had a lot of no men and no women around me. Like, for somebody who's so hyperbolized, I like people who like push back against me. I need the context. So, a lot of them pushed very hard in 2010 and 11 of like, Gary, what's the ROI? Like, right in my team, like, does this mean anything? Is this, does this help the client? And I educate them, like, look, we, and this was before there was paid social that could drive the business results we have now, so it was very organic. I go, look, here's what you have to understand. They're paying us $5,000 a month for the amount of content and strategy we're giving them, and just the IP for 60,000 a year is a gift for these companies. They're paying, they're paying $5,000 right now for the catering bill on their commercial, right? So it's about contextualizing. Um, and so, one, it was the culture. Like, keep continuity. The amount of people I have, our, tur- our voluntary turnover rate is 75 to 100, like it's unbelievably better than the market. Um, two, it was my brand leadership as a, you know, I mean I had a real, I, I, what do you mean I had? I have a real racket. I get paid $100,000 to go and speak and then land million dollar accounts good, you know, like, like, so, you know what I mean, like, like, it was funny, I saw you shaking your head to some stuff right now, I always pay attention to who's vibing with me when I speak, and I use their positive energy to keep my momentum going, um, this one Toyota talk, small group, maybe this size, and there's just one guy giving me vibes, like, like, my, like, you know, mentally, I'm like, I'm gonna go thank that guy after this talk, guy ends up being the CMO of Toyota, and this was a dealership, like Northeast dealers, you know, like, and so, um, this speaking, my brand, um, and then finally, 
and this will always be tried and true, as charismatic and as cool as I am, as much as we have continuity, there is no $100 million. There's no 30 to 650 people, three to 100 million in revenue in four years without doing good work. So the biggest growth we had, the biggest, was somebody at Pepsi being blown up. Lipton brisk iced tea, South by Southwest 2009, 2009, seven weeks after Instagram came out, we made Instagram cans for brisk iced tea for South by Southwest that got them a lot of press as Instagram blew up. That guy left and went to Mondelez and hired us, right? So like in corporate America, people are leaving and going to different companies and hiring us. The key to our growth was word of mouth of our good work when people went to other companies. Yeah, you got it, brother. Hey man. Hey man. Uh, family question for you. I'm not sure, sure if uh, Mark has asked you this at the social media market, marketing world or not. Um, but uh, I know you're really good about keeping weekends to yourself. Yes. <clears throat> Four or five years from now, your kid says, hey dad, you're not around as much as I'd like you to be. I'm super scared of this conversation, by the way. Yeah. I'm being dead serious. I am too. I mean, our I'm, kids are the same age and like. Keep going. What, you know, does it change, does it change the I don't plans know. by the Jets? Does I, it... uh, one thing, I was, I was super excited about being here because when I get to do long Q&A with a lot of people that have some sense of who I am and there's a high caliber of individuals, A, I'm never interested in, you know, B, I think I'm even at a heightened degree of not wanting to, um, if that makes any sense. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I am not interested in lying about this issue. One of the things that I think some of you have noticed is I'm starting to talk about suicide and depression in entrepreneur land because it's real. A lot of, most, especially looking at this room, at the age group that a lot of us are in this room, there's less fake entrepreneurs here than when I go to the Y Combinator event in a couple months. Like, it has become such a popular thing to sell. There are so many 22, 23, 24 year olds that are truly not entrepreneurs, that are being entrepreneurs, because it's the cool thing to do. And what it's leading to, and, and the cliche, and this is of course generalization, but the thing that I've seen, because I'm very in it right now, is a lot of the 24 year olds that are in entrepreneurship are the people that can raise you know, $3 million or a million dollars to do it. And a lot of those people are rich white dudes. Okay, and the cliche thing with a lot of these rich white kids that are 22, 23, 24 starting these internet companies is they grew up in a private school, they went to a big time college, mom and dad facilitated a lot, and the first time they've ever dealt with any true meritocracy or market conditions is the day their app hits the market and the market says go yourself almost every time. And it's this stuff, you know, we, we have and a lot of you are parents, or are gonna be parents, we have an absolute wrong game right now in our culture in America. And by the way, this happens to every empire. This is what's happening to us. It's black and white. We are in the eighth place trophy business right now. We just are. We're rewarding kids because we think we're doing fake self-esteem. It's the politically correct thing to do. And my wife knows I don't give a about anything when it comes to what the kids are doing in school, but when they go and do camp or sport, like no eighth place trophies. Like my little guy Xander, he's got a little basket in our apartment. He has never made a single basket on me, nor will he until he's 15 or 16 years old. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. Because, because it's not life. It's just not life. And so, 
It's true. It's true. He will never score. He's got a weird complex already about it. And, uh, and, uh, and so I think that, um, I think that, uh, I think, I think we're living through a very interesting time right now of depression and suicide. There's been three suicides in the tech ecosystem, the hardcore tech ecosystem that we know and nobody talks about it. And we need to talk about it and there's a lack of self-awareness right now in the game um, and, um, and I'm worried about it. And I forgot about the question because I was wrapping that back to something. What was it again? Oh, if they say, so on that, on that, I think it's, I think you've got to talk real truths and so I don't want to, like if my kids say that, I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna tell them. I know, that, I know that I was a lot more scared of it a year or two ago until I realized that, <laughs> this is just so real, oh, I'm getting to a wealth level where I'm be able to grab my kids from school on Friday and fly private somewhere for three days with them and fly, like I, I actually am so curious if I'm gonna get caught in the middle. I do believe, and I've watched very carefully, that there's a financial arbitrage level where you can buy time at such an incredible pace that you might be able to sell it back to that time together. No one thing. I haven't missed a recital or an important school event for my first grade daughter yet. You know, if I'm in New York, which means, and I'm, luckily I'm not traveling 300 days a week, like I've missed stuff, but I'll never miss it if it's controllable. And the other thing I'm very fascinated by is a lot of my friends spend time with their kids, but they're not spending time with their kids. So like, a lot of my buddies are absolutely like, will razz me, and then I'll razz them back and be like, dude, I was over your house the other day, like, you're not with your, you, you play Call of Duty when you get home from work. <laughs> like, you're not with your kids, so I mean, and, and listen, I'm gonna say another thing. There's a couple things that I'm absolutely adamant about. I will never give you I will never judge, forget about give you. I think we all like to spew a little advice. Um, I will never, I will never judge somebody's relationship or how they parent. I'm the byproduct of immigrant parents where I didn't even see my dad until I was 15 years old and he's my best bud. We have the greatest relationship of all time. So of course I'm affected by that, right? Of course I'm affected by my dad got away with, not, and, but I'm also not taking for granted that my kids are wired the same way that I was. I think it's an always moving thing. Um, so, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But I really, I just know my truth, which is if I'm not happy, then everything else breaks. And if it makes me unhappy not to hustle and do my thing, that's a vulnerability. And that's a real truth that people don't wanna say out loud, which is, you know, I know what the politically correct thing to say here is. I know what everybody wants to say but I'm suffocated not being me. I'm suffocated not being me. And my kids are way worse off if I'm unhappy than being happy. And so I don't wanna let them down. Um, I'm pretty, I'm already, I'm, listen, I'm taking seven weeks vacation a year. It's, and it's hardcore quality time in that seven weeks. And then with weekends, I actually really think I need to work more. I'm like, there's two days a week, you know, like, like I don't know, like, it's, um, I'm concerned about it because I don't know my kids well enough yet, right? I don't know where they're, like I know the way Lizzie and I are building them and I'm hoping with the DNA that they have that they're gonna be extremely 
self-confident and self-worth and a lot of those kind of things that, that will keep them into a place where that won't be as much of an issue or concern or their, their worth won't be wrapped up in um, my behavior. And I mean that. Like One of the things that my wife and I share and it's probably the foundation of our love affair with each other is we don't give a about what anybody thinks including each other think about each other. My, I came home the other day, I was like, Liz, you have to tell me about your side, dude, because you really don't give a f-. Like, if I texted Lizzie right now, I was like, hey, uh, ran into Jordan and Dan and John at this event, and we're gonna go to Korea for uh, nine months to work on this new startup, she would literally text back in like two minutes be like, do you want me to pack? Like, it's unbelievable to me how much she is an enabler of my behavior. Um, <laughs> I mean it, I mean it. And, uh, and she does her thing and, and, and so I don't know, I don't know and it's the most interesting variable in my life but I'm convinced that I will never go as far as the market wants me to because I know myself too well and I just won't be happy if I can't do me. Hey Gary, it's Shah. Um, it's just a, a question related back to your point about nostalgia being really underrated. Yes. Um, and then bringing that back into some of the new social media platforms. And I wonder what your view is about voice coming back. So apps like Anchor, which I think personally are really interesting, particularly for Me too. a different demographic. So I'd love to know what you think about... The problem with voice, and I love voice, and I love Anchor, and I've been watching it very carefully, as I know you know, it takes too much time. We like time more than context. So why voice is incredible is, do you know how many times you've misinterpreted a tweet or an email? Upload, because tone is lost in writing. What voice does incredibly well is you won't lose it because that's just something we know. The problem is I have no interest in listening to anybody's anchor here because it takes too much time. That's the problem. So I'm voice, I, I mean from 2008, 9, 10, 11, I was like, ooh, voice Twitter, voice Twitter. Anchor's the first voice Twitter that I've seen. Problem is it takes too much time. And time is becoming, like every second that goes by, time is becoming more valuable. Like we are willing to pay unbelievable amounts of money to buy time. Uber's built on it. Uber sells time. Uber sells the perception of time. Like you think the car, like in New York City, the amount of times I have an Uber coming and just watch cab after cab drive by. <laughs> I'm like, this blows. <laughs> you know, so um, time is, I mean, I would tell you that if you're, if you're hungry to actually build a startup, I tell everybody to build time apps, 100%. Anything that sells, say, sells you time. That's why the Postmates and the same day deliveries and, I mean, all that stuff, time. Hey Gary, Alex, Alex Icon on Snapchat. Thanks for selling me on Snapchat. You got it, brother. Um, yeah, the question I want to ask you, you talked earlier about leveraging Vayner into buying businesses. Yes. So when are you going to go all in on that? And what are the businesses you're going to start with? I don't know. Um, 
I don't know what businesses I'm gonna start with. I've been looking at deals for the last 18 months. I even got into one letter of intent, but I didn't like the way the numbers looked. I'd love to, so first of all, number one rule is it had to be big at one point and it's not right now, right? So, uh, Bubblicious Bubblegum did 128 million in revenue a couple, uh, you know, 13 years ago, 17 years ago, now it does seven, right? So like, there's a lot of things like that, like Green Giant food sold not too long ago, you know, like, just think, uh, Fila, remember Fila? You know, like, for all you hip hop heads and Grand Hill fans, like, it was big for 48 seconds, right? Like, Z Cavarici pants, (laughs) you know, like, like, you know, like, so like, it had to have brand for a certain time, by the way, this is how the toy business works. Like, my little, po- like, go, like, for anybody who's 40, like I am, or in that general range, if you go in the toy aisle now, it's our toy aisle, because we're parents now, and we'll be nostalgic, and we want our kids to play with Strawberry Shortcake, and G.I. Joe, and Star Wars, and My Little Pony, and da 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 So, um, it has to be underpriced, had to have a lot of revenue, and my preference would be that it would skew very strong, 13 to 30, because my marketing behavior usually starts there and it's underpriced there. So what I, any brand that you want to sell to, if you want to sell something to an 18-year-old in America today and you don't spend 90% of your money and energy on Snapchat and Instagram, you're an idiot. That's where their attention is. And that stuff is always underpriced. Snapchat and Instagram influencers and Snapchat marketing are underpriced, grossly underpriced right now. The way search was grossly underpriced when I started doing it in 2001. And, and there's long, like long tail search SEMs that are underpriced, but the word wine is not five cents a click anymore. And Facebook advertising 24 months ago was the greatest steal in the market when I was yelling about it and everybody was like, no, they took away our, org- everybody got romantic. They took away our organic reach. Who gives a they took away your organic reach and they gave you the best ad product that ever existed, you know, in return. And so, and it's the same thing right now. You're debating Snapchat, it's a fad, da 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 and then in 24 months, you're gonna be on it and you're gonna not land grab as much. It's gonna be harder to build the fan base. It's gonna get noisy. The early users are gonna stop buying from it. Like, it's just the same pattern recognition forever. You got it. Hey, Gary, Cole. Cole. What's up, man? What's up? Quick first question for your fund, the 50 to 70 million. Yeah. Is it open to outside investors and what's the maximum offer or buy-in? So yeah, I'm st- we still haven't closed. The minimum is a $2 million check and super happy to talk to you about it. Perfect, thank you. Bigger, oh sorry, that was just real quick. Uh, bigger question, um, was talking to Yannick today yes. and uh, you know about Thrive where you spoke. What do you think about someone who's in a startup including a social element or a give like a Tom's Shoes in the startups today for the millennials that seem to be, and again what Yannick was citing today, research showing they're more inclined to buy from someone that makes a difference than someone that's just making a profit. Yannick's right, the, the problem is, is marketers ruin everything. So, so what's happened is my data shows and what I'm looking at is that the trend has already swung the other direction. You know, Yannick, I don't know what you're, what, how, you know, if you look at the data, but like, I think what's happened is there was probably three months there a year ago where every startup, and I look at, you know, seven to 25 startups a week because I invest, came in and said, Gary, Gary, I got it. All right, listen, I have an umbrella company. 
It's an umbrella. And for every umbrella you buy, we give an umbrella to some poor dude in Seattle. <laughs> you know, like, like, and so what happened was when Tom's Shoes did it and when a couple of the early people did it, it was novel. It caught our attention. Yes, the younger set does care more about charity and giving and you know, no question they're wired differently. The problem is it became a tactic. Every scumbucket marketer that I know started a startup that had a buy one, get one, give one, da da da, and it became tactical, and now there's 8,000 of them out there, and now it's just noise. It's the same old game, supply and demand, and so I think there's an opportunity. The problem is, where's the intent? So many people now do it because they think it's the hook for their business to succeed, not because they actually give a about curing a disease or helping somebody in an underprivileged environment and when your intent is you lost. And that's real and you guys know it and you also know that you've done many things that where your intent was wrong, it was tactical and it never wins. So if your intent's, what's that? Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you. It's true and so I think, can somebody tomorrow start a company that's buy and give and win? Absolutely, if it's their truth. A, it's harder to break through because there's so much And B, unfortunately, there's just not so many people that have that truth. Hey, it's me again. Does he get more airtime? Actually, just a prediction, because I know you like to be right about um, do you think Snapchat will add at any point in the near future something for sort of like endemic discovery rather than having to push people from other networks? I don't know. And I, and the re- and I do like to, and I feel comfortable. Reason is Evan's done so many things. I, I don't know Evan well enough to know what he's gonna do. What I do think is that Snapchat's gonna do something very smart in the way they're doing the stories thing. How many people here actually like Snapchat and use it as a human. Like, not as a marketer, that's me. I mean, as a human, you like it. And so you notice how they went with continuous stories? Yeah. I think they're gonna do a very smart ad product in between people. So that's what I think they've set up. That I'll predict. I think it's, there was no reason to do it except the continuous content gets stopped. And I think it's really cool if you go programmatic, if you really think of data, think about you follow Gary Vee and Tim Ferriss and you can, actually at, you can actually buy an ad in between those two people. You can buy an ad between Kim Kardashian and Toyota. Like you'll have the data to know what the continuation is and you can insert a five or 10 in there. I think if you do that, boy, I would buy the shit out of that if I actually knew the two media entities. I would just understand who that person was and what they were interested in and be able to create and sell in that environment. No, we can do a little bit more. I'm, pu- I'm just gonna try to be late for my call. This is too fun. <laughs> hey Gary, Diana here. How are so, you? So, I'm great, how are you? Good. So, if Snapchat's on this side, yes. I kind of see meditation on this side. Okay. I know you're very kind of futuristic and have made quite a few predictions on the meditation side. Obsessed. I'm, I'm really curious, how do you see meditation playing out as a consumable in the marketplace? Is it events? Is yes. it online? Yes. Everything? Yes. So meditation, meditation is the fitness industry over the last 20 years. That's meditation in 20 years is a foundational pillar 
in American consumer society. Mental health is the next physical health. You, everybody here in 20 years will have some, there'll be the lightweight version of it, like, yeah, there's some cool little app and it just makes me sleep better or escape, and then there'll be more extreme stuff. And the truth is, like, just so everybody knows, and I appreciate you knowing that and people that follow me, I know really nothing about it. I just know consumer behavior and I know when I see the tea leaves, I just know it is going to be, there's a, I'm 100% positive that the next retail explosion like that looks like Soul Cycle is a or like Blockbuster Video is going to be meditate. There is going to be a Starbucks and Soul Cycle of meditation, the place that every trendy, rich, cool person goes to, and sits there. <laughs> so, so I think you know, and so think about it. Think about it as every other genre that pops. So there'll be the Starbucks and Soul Cycle. There'll be the tap out, you know, UFC fighting, there was the merchandise company, there'll be the tap out, or the life is good. There'll be a brand that owns the meditation swag, right? And then there's gonna be all the other things, and so I think it's gonna be big. big. Like, as a matter of fact, you guys heard earlier, the 50 to 75 million dollars, 10 companies, one of them will be a major bet on meditation. I don't know what, but I will, I will eSports, VR B2B, I think virtual reality is being sold as a consumer thing way too early. It feels like internet 91, 92. So I think it's way too early, but much like in 91, 92, the people that made money were like the infrastructure of the internet itself. I'm very hot on virtual reality B2B. I'm very hot on meditation. I'm very hot on esports, and I'm very hot on fully integrated direct-to-consumer products. Um, So, yeah, hey man. Um, thanks for being here tonight. Uh, Chris Kaplan. Um, one, uh, you, the stumped question for you tonight was around your children. So yes. I have a 10-year-old girl who's going on 25 and a 12-year-old boy who I just gave an iPhone 6 to without a data plan, but wants a Snapchat account, has an Instagram account, and your thoughts and ideas yep. on our youth and their just obsession with social media. Yep. I know it's inevitable and I want yep. them to be a part of it because they yep. teach me it'll be a part of it. Yep. But how do I can how do I I don't want to be the helicopter parent either. Yep. How do we control the four thousand passive aggressive out yeah. there who tell my child they're, horrible, horrible Right, things. they're fat or ugly or what uh, um so a couple things. One I truly believe the way that we always solve every problem is at the religion, not the tactic. Back to the question about fitness. So I think that if you've been able to instill the right pillars into your child, you win. Like, it's unbelievable how much peer pressure wasn't able to penetrate you know, me because of what my parents did in building that self-esteem and things of that nature. Look, this is evolution. Like, you know, when I was a kid, like, Girls that got second phone lines, that was gonna ruin them. Like they were gonna lay in their room and be on the phone all day. Or Zelda was gonna make me like not capable of being a human in society. Like, you know, whether it was video games or whether it was punk music or rock and roll in the 70s or whether it was Elvis shaking his hips. Like, I mean, what Miley Cyrus did four years ago on the MTV Music Awards that got everybody freaked out is tame on Instagram. Like evolution. And so I think you've got to instill good principles into your kids. It's unbelievable how many parents have come to me and said, I'm not letting my son on Snapchat 
right? Because they're sort of sexting because that was the headline for Snapchat. Meanwhile, like, does your son have a phone? Yeah. Does he have the internet on his phone? (laughs) Yes. I'm like, you know he can go to jizzhut.com pretty easily. (laughs) Like, like, so, you know, so I think, I think that, uh, I think that, I I promise you, like, that's far more dangerous of what you're scared of than the random 12-year-old floozy chick in science class. So, I think, I think that, um, I think it's, I think, I think the way you solve everything, by the way, is communication. And I think a lot of parents are scared to have real talk. And so I think you have conversation. Look, a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old is still a 10 and 12-year-old. You have to be observant. Um, But it's gonna be what it's gonna be, man. Right, like we all, listen, the funny thing is, I don't know if it's because I'm like, so don't wanna die and like stay so grounded to my youth or because I'm in this stuff. Like, I'm sure you guys all feel the same way, right? Like, we were just there. Like I was just in sixth grade spending four months trying to figure out how to steal Playboys from 7-Eleven with my buddies. You know, like it was just two minutes ago. So like this, you know, I think we love our kids so much we go on defense. It's the way people run their business. When something gets good, they go to defense. And that's the second they start losing. And so I understand why and I feel those things too but it is what it is. Like so, you know conversations and instilling the right things into them, you know? And my big thing actually is more, I'm gonna watch my kids to make sure they're not the kids that are doing the bad stuff to other kids, more so like, I want them to feel the, I'm actually okay with getting their feelings hurt and things of that nature, I wanna have those conversations, but like, this obsession with protecting our kids from getting their feelings hurt is a little too far. Like, I want Xander to get punched in the mouth. I do. I do. I think it'll be good for him. You know? He's just a rich kid from the Upper East Side. He needs a good beating. <laughs> so. Hey Gary. Um, so, so often I, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and successful different people and stuff and it, it's not always but more often than not there's a cost. Often a Kind of, a, they're unaware of the cost that, that, the, yes. that the brand building has created. So while you've been crushing it, and, yes. and, I, and, I, and I use that term obviously because yes. your book, and, yes. and with respect, I, I read your book, yes. and uh, I, I kind of hated the book because yes. it, it showed me how to do something I was scared to do yes. in such a simple way. And I'll never forget the day I posted the first video, and thanks for making me look like a total <laughs> in the world. Because I tell you, I put this video out, and it was so bad. <laughs> But I was, I, w- I was so scared and, yeah. and you simplified the whole process for me and, and it's gone on to do different things and, and I'm very grateful for that. But I work with a lot of very interesting people who often have a lot of success. And I was going to say, to be politically correct, that there's, sometimes there's not a cost, but the reality is almost every time there is a cost. There's always a cost. And I'm just wondering, and I'm not trying to expose you, but I'm just wondering from your point of view if, if you wouldn't mind sharing a degree of that cost or if, you know, if there is a cost in your point. I mean, the cost is, there's a lot of, so I, I actually, when I really think about your question, the biggest cost I'm worried about is if actually I do something wrong. So for the most part, I don't do anything wrong by our standards in society and I'm scared that I've done such a great job of building 
tell the people that know me a very good thing that I'm scared of like, what, I always think like, what could slip me up? Like I think about that a lot. As far as, to answer your question directly, what's been the cost? Well, leisure. You know like, it's fun to like, do fun stuff and, like I, I don't remember the last time that I was fundamentally completely calm. Like, <laughs> let me explain what I mean. Everything's on me. My whole family, my brother, my two brother-in-laws, my brother, my parents, my sister, everybody's livelihood at this point and lifestyle is on my shoulders. The whole kit and caboodle. Like, that's called pressure. And then, and then, and then if you really like, are wired the way I am, I genuinely care about the people that are in my ecosystem. Even the people that are like, you know, employee 432, I feel pressure. I feel pressure. So the biggest cost, I think, is peace. Like, when, you, when you're the one, you know, like, this whole notion of being the entrepreneur, like, like, I don't know, like, and I see a lot of you shaking your head, you guys know, like, you guys, you gals know, like, it's on you. Like, it's super fun to be number two. Like, I always bust AJ's chops, I'm like, you got the gig. Because like, when the whole thing's on fire, like, you still can go, what are we gonna do? (laughs) Right? Like, like for me, for me, for me, I think the biggest thing I gave up was, like, it's very, and I'm doing it right now, Man, man, it's been, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade, it's been a long time when I didn't recognize that not only my life, but pretty much everybody else I gave a about in the world was predicated on my behavior, period. Like, for real. So, peace of mind and like, like, like that is just, you give that up. Um, and I've given up a ton. I mean, the first five years of my marriage is one of the great regrets of my life. Like, because I was hustling so much, like, I easily and should have and desperately wish that I went on two more weeks vacation with Lizzie to Paris and Japan and just ate sushi for a week. Like, and I didn't. And I don't get it back. And so it makes me very conscious of the kids' stuff. And so I've learned from that behavior and I've been much better with the kids. Seven weeks vacation still, I don't even like saying it out loud. You know, like, um, and there's other things. Uh, friendships. There's a lot of good friends that I have from high school and college that I don't have a relationship with anymore that would have been very fruitful in my life that are just gone. Um, pressure is tough, man, right? But for me and for a lot of people in here, there's just no other gear. You're just, your destiny's your destiny. So I'm not naive. I don't, I, like, I don't think it's so great being me. I really don't. I, I love being me, but I recognize why me is not great on paper. Like I truly believe that there's a much sweeter spot in our society than the one I sit with. I, I romance it as the guy or girl that makes like 347 a year as a solid exec, has ridiculous work-life balance, goes to every little league game, has four weeks, like, you know, but I just don't know what that gear. I don't have that. Do you, sorry. Do you think that people like you exist to pull people into the gear or the middle ground? Where I'm they sorry? Can, 
Do you think do you think people like you need to exist in the world to pull people into a space where they can have a bit more peace of mind? In other words, that you pay a price for that. And this is a very personal question because I, I I'm like, despite the fact that I'm always in front of people, I'm speaking or whatever, it's very, very extremely lonely to do what I do. It's the loneliest. Yeah. Dude, there's nobody else. Like, if you were truly, truly the number one of your thing, there's just, what else? Like, who, where? Like, I, I talk to no, do you know that I never talk to my wife about work? Goose egg. And I think that the people in here that have that same thing, they realize, what am I gonna talk about? 99% of my day is fires. My, I'm in the business of eating <laughs> Like, do I really wanna come home and tell my wife, that, like, like, I don't celebrate victory. Like, the biggest vulnerability, one of the weakest things, one of the things that I'm doing worst in my company is we are killing it and we don't celebrate Like, we win a cow, like, yeah. Like, like we don't even talk, like, like I'm like, I don't know, I, all I do, all my energy is spent on the negative. It's what I do. It's what you have to do. Because if you don't address it, it becomes cancer and becomes your vulnerability. And so, I get it, brother. I think there's a huge price to pay. You know? A huge price to pay. But, uh, but I would not have it any other way. I'm happy as Because I'm, living the game that I was built for, but when, this is why I'm so scared of the reverse. I'm scared of the people. The cliche thing is everybody right now at Princeton, who five to seven years ago would have went to Bain and McKinsey, made a lot of money, met another attractive smart person at Bain and McKinsey, married them, bought a second home in the Hamptons, because they, one made 740 at Goldman, and one made 297 at this, that same person today is starting a startup and has the Uber for maids. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and is gonna lose. Is gonna lose. Is gonna take a three to six year setback. Is gonna lose equity in their ecosystem. Is gonna have a bruised confidence because they weren't bi- I, as an entrepreneur, as a one, I only wanna lose. Like, losing is comfortable. Losing is delicious. That's why I love being a Jets fan. You know, like, <laughs> like so, so I'm worried actually, it's so funny who I'm trying to talk to these days is the people that aren't built for what you and I know. Because it's super glamorous. Like, the, this is why I'm visceral to what's going on on Instagram and you've been hearing me talk about the entrepreneurs who rent, rent, watches, planes, girls, baby giraffes, and then sell people on how they got it because they allude to they having it versus renting it and then selling and, and, and they're selling entrepreneurship. That, does, that is not what entrepreneurship is. It's just not. Keep going. I think we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Hi, Gary. Hey, I'm man. Steve. I'm a behavioral profiler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't want to ask a question as much as I want to make a statement. Okay. Um, we need you just the way you are. Now, I know there's a lot of questions probably in some people's heads in here about your style, the way you do things, but you're basically created this way, and there's people in this world that wouldn't do if it wasn't for people like you. And so I just want to encourage you in the fact that, you know, you're thinking about your fatherhood and your husbandry and all these different things, but they hooked up with you being the way you are. I get it, man. And that's you, and I want you to be proud of it. I and, am. And I know that. I really But I am. just want to say that for everybody that. else. And I, listen. But this is who you are. You're like a modern-day prophet for the business world. And Elon Musk is another one. I mean, there's, you're an anomaly. You're not normal. And listen. No, okay? Listen. And and I say that because there are social norms. I get and it. You're so far outside of the social norm that you stand out. You become an anomaly, and everybody's freaked out at it. But it's who you are. It's what you are. And stay being that. You know, Maria, I think you'll find this interesting based on, on what you do. I'm so in tune to that that I've had very intense conversations with my wife, which is people not having self-awareness or being blind to it. I know that the way I'm wired is the cliche thing where there's that person that's super famous and they die and then like the country mourns and then the family goes, yeah, but they weren't there for me. Like I'm so conscious of that. I'm so aware that I'm for scale that I know it comes at the cost of those 10 people that I hack at it a lot because I'm trying to figure out like, boy, do I know? And it's, and it's a crazy feeling to know it. Like, it's a crazy feeling to hear thanks for put, like, I don't know. Like, you know what else, by the way? It's super easy for me not to get caught up in it. Like, I didn't do anything. My mom and dad had sex at the right second. Like, like I, I didn't do anything. Like, this is who I am. Like, this has always been who I was. Even It's so fun for me to have my grammar school and middle school friends pop up because of Facebook. They, they're telling me that I long forgot and it's just the same Like, there's something about the way that I communicate that makes people see it slightly different and then allows them to do something with it. And so, I'm not running from it. I just, I would, if I can do anything to hack not doing the cliche thing that happens to people like me, which is the people closest to me lose the most, the people furthest away from me win the most. I'd like to at least do that, but other than that, I just don't even know how not to be me. Well, I can help. Well, thank you. So to that end, I'm Melissa Lands of the Fresh 20. Um, to that end, a little nervous to ask this question in a room full of HD men. But um, so do you think that there's room for women? Like what's your prediction on women changing that dynamic and going from the crush it economy to the live it economy and kind of changing the dynamic of what it means to be a successful entrepreneur? Do you think that women are going to make that make that change in, in business or So let's, let's break important. it down a little further. I want to make sure I understand it. So um, when, 
Give me a little more detail. So for most of the highly successful women entrepreneurs that yes. I know, they're less of, they, they're not concerned about crushing it. They're they're concerned about um, like living a, a holistic a holistic life. So that you mean d- with children? Like no, go, not, go in no, detail. not even children. Just having a little bit more of a of a balance, being more connected to the people on the ground, to their friends, to their family. Like living in a way that look, think, they don't have to make yeah. the sacrifices that you're making. Yeah. Look, I mean. 99% of the dudes don't want to do what I'm doing either. Like, there's like, so I, so look, couple things. One, boys and girls are different. Like, it's just In what real. way? <laughs> yeah. And like, and so like, you know, this has been a very interesting topic. VaynerMedia was built on female leadership. I was, you know, I wrote the first check into Birchbox after they had 50 no's. Like, I've been very, very, I have a higher percentage of female entrepreneurs in my ecosystem and I get all this credit and I feel terrible about it because the reason I've done these things is I'm actually prejudiced against dudes in a world where I think EQ, in a world where it has been proven that EQ is not more favorable to a woman, I'm being prejudiced to guys that they can't be as EQ oriented as women even though I am. Um, so what do I, I, I think it's super, so first of all, look how far we've come in America on race and gender in 30, 40, 50 years. It's really good and there'll be more and I think that it's really cool and I, you know, when it comes to business, it's so sports for me that you would be, like it's stunning to me how I cannot even wrap my head around even thinking of anything other than the market. You know, like, like I never would think like, oh, you're a Hispanic. Oh, you're a transgender. Oh, you're a black dude. You're a girl. Like, I would never think that, like, I don't care. Can we win? Like, can, we, can you sell Like, and, and so I think that, um, one, I think a lot about if I was exactly my way as a woman, how much would starting a family pull at me? from a chemical, we're different game. I'm fascinated by that, just like in general. Um, but I think that, um, I, think, I think a lot of white males really, really, really worry about what other people think of them and they have it best. So I'm very empathetic to what a woman's gonna think about what everybody else thinks about them and I think that's holding people back boy, girl, black, white, more than anything in the world. And so I do think, um, I think that's the key to the question that you're asking. Once a person is capable of really getting into a place where they're content with themselves and can, at a very high level, not worry about the market's feedback to themselves, they can win in whatever they want. And so living it, first and foremost, is defined super different by every person. Um, and so that's just how I see it. But it's funny, it's really an interesting issue, it's a really interesting genre for me. My daughter is much more similar to me than my son is. I can tell that already. And so like, I want her to be, if she wants to, I want her to be number one and I don't want anything to stop her. But I also am pretty interesting about this and I say this to my minority and female entrepreneurs. If one person, one, if one person in the world that looks like you ever achieved it, then you can too. Like, there's this big argument right now with a lot of my female entrepreneurs. They're like, it's so hard to get money from white man VCs. I'm like, getting VC money is nothing compared to the market. 
Like, the market's much tougher than had Don on Sand Hill Road. So. No, but I think you misunderstood my question, so I didn't do go, it right. Well, so let's my do question's it. not about women equality, because I don't think that I think I could do anything okay, go ahead. that any man in this go room ahead. could do, and maybe yep. better. But okay. I, <laughs> my question is do you think that women business leaders are going to change the culture from the crush it culture no. to. No. No, no at all. Okay. No, that's awesome. Like, it's interesting. Because, because like, we're living because, in this because, world where because, our, because, our because concerns are different. Because I don't, think, I don't think the crush it culture is really the culture. Really, I don't. Like, it's just one of the subcultures. There's, there's much more momentum for politically, like, just so you know, because a lot of my content goes viral on Facebook, which is, by the way, it's so funny, a lot of my content is going quite, scaling quite well on Facebook. Oh, by the way, here's a secret. Captioned videos. Do not put up another video on Facebook without captioning it. So like, there's a tactic for tonight. Anyway, my, my content is dismantling it, which is so funny, because my paid team, my, con- like, my team sits next to me, and I'll know, because we're putting up, con- like, like, we're very much in sports culture, like, eh. Like, they get excited, they're super pumped, and I'm super like sad for a quick second, because I'm like, here comes seven million people that have never seen me before. So here comes the top fifteen comments of this guy's a face. You know. <laughs> Here's why I brought that up. All of my content that's crush it, that's winning, is viscerally getting pushed against. Like the top thing that everybody's. Don't you? Do you want to see your kids? Oh, this guy's gonna die at forty-two. Like you know, like it. I do not think crush it culture is the main culture right now. I think the work-life balance, politically correct, we're all gonna accomplish everything and do everything balanced right game is the culture. And like Bernie's very popular, right? Like if you go look at the data, I'm looking at it very carefully because I don't want my head chopped off for being a capitalist. Like 16 to 24 year olds for all the entrepreneurs there are, there's a bunch of people that think, Working hard is bad, like capitalism is bad, like you're in an ecosystem of a lot of winners, crush it, we're gonna do it, but, but the macro, the macro, the, 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 the thing has already changed. The thing changed, the thing's changed. America, lost. Like, like just, so, I want everybody, like I don't know how much you get around, like it's over. Like, We've had too many decades and too many generations. You, me, we're the problem. Like, just, like, it's not our faults. We were just born in the generation of 200 years into our empire. We are soft. Soft. Gary, you talked quite a bit today about self-awareness. Um, how do you build and sustain self-awareness? I don't know. I, I hate this question because I really want to give a good answer and there's people that do different things that feel like, I don't feel like I have a grasp on how to teach self-awareness or maintain it. I know I have it, I know I rely on it, I know that there's people, that I've seen people talk about how to do it, like I respect that that may be true, I've never dug under the hood or watched somebody do it. I have 
I have seen this, and this is something for a lot of you that are building things to think about. I have seen a lot of my people grow in their self-awareness out of the safety that I've created in the environment, in the culture of the company. And so within safety, they've been able to expand their emotional intelligence. Um, but I don't know, man, but boy, let me tell you something. For that gentleman or whoever, like, if you know how to do it, if, you, if, if there's a way to really do it, it's the drug. It is the game. It's unbelievable how powerful it is if you have it. It just saves you. It makes you likable, it makes you like yourself, it makes you understand you. The, the other thing, you, know, you understand, there's something that comes along with it. There's a cousin of all these feelings. Empathy is something I live on. Do you know that nobody's ever let me down? Did, did, if, you, like, if you really understood why I'm so happy, and I really am, it's because nobody's ever let me down because I actually have zero expectation of others. Like zero. Because I understand. I get it. I'm empathetic. I understand. I get it. Like, you couldn't. You shouldn't. You weren't raised that way. You didn't see it. You didn't, like, I don't know. And so, um, I'm not sure, but I can tell you this. If, if I could wish, besides health, on my children, two things, it would be unbelievable self-esteem, which I do think I can control, and then I wish it was unbelievable self-awareness, which I don't, I don't understand that I can control as much. Hey, hey Gary. Man. How are you? Great. I'm going to take this opportunity to get some free life coaching, so thank you in advance. <laughs> uh, I founded a successful company, and if I keep doing it for a few more years, I'll have hit my number and I'll be done. Right. Uh, the problem is I have this burning desire to be on the Snapchat and like giving advice and helping young people and all that, yes. but I don't have the type of business where that would like feed into leads or anything like that, so it's a big yes. dilemma for me. Do I start doing that now, or do I keep... Uh, grinding and try to like hit this financial thing and my girlfriend asked me last night she's like well if you died what would you be happier about having that dollar in the bank account or having your book published and helped a lot of young people and I was like oh so I seems just like, wanted to throw it out seems like done. you found the right girl um, I think uh, I think uh, I think my answer to that is you should do both I don't like what I would do if I were you and what I normally do in these situations is I would audit the rest of it so like, so like, let's get real. To, you willing to get very real with me? Let's do it. How many hours do you work a day? For real, don't me. Six. Do both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, because eight is a half day, and that means you, and, and that means that you have two hours to do all that good, and that's awesome, really. You know what's funny? I want what you want too. I, it's what I do so much. Unfortunately for me, like that's what costs me 16 hours. You know what I mean? So you should, I mean, if you, if you truly, if you want to shoot it black and white straight, you should do both. You should figure out how to get to eight. Hopefully it doesn't take time out of time together. Hopefully it's coming out of, I don't know what you're doing with your other <laughs> house of cards, surfing. I don't know what you're doing, but like, like, Two hours a day you can find to give advice and do that stuff. And it's, it, is, it, it is, you know, it's so funny. Like doing that, doing the whole personal brand thing and being out there 
it's such a double win. Like, depending on how much vanity and, and like that kind of stuff you have in, it gets to scratch that. I mean, I was waiting for my car today in LA. Some dude was flying down the highway, almost died, pulled over, was like, Gary me, just left. Like, that's the biggest high ever. <laughs> I was so pumped. And then on the other hand, the, far, the other, and it's an equal, I don't think it's better or worse for me. I mean, we're all wired different. The emails of people were like, hey man, you really helped me. Like I was signing up for all this. I did this, this happened. You know, it's so, um, it's, in, it's intoxicating for people to email you and say that you changed their life. I have that happen every day now. It's crazy, you know? Man. It's crazy. So if you feel like, if you're feeling a yearning towards it, you should do it. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, man. Gary, you talked about fires and fighting fires, and I think that's a battle that probably all of us do on a daily basis, right? So yes. what I, I have a two-parter question. One is, what do you up on often? Yes. And when you lose, how do you not lose a lesson? How do I not lose a lesson? So I love losing and I hate losing, right? They're like polar opposites. So the thing I most up on is that I think I can do everything. I have big eyes, you know, fat kid cake, right? Like, I just have big eyes. I just because I work so much and I work so hard and so intense, I always think that I can pull it off. So sometimes I'm just trying to do 78 things and you can't. That's my common mistake, I'll always do that. It's because somewhere deep down I still think it's working out because I think it's a net-net game, but it is where I fall short. Um, on more than a, mac, a micro level, probably on uh, three-fourths micro all the way up to macro. For me, I never, I mean, I don't know if it's the same reason that I remember everything that's ever happened. Like, I remember everything. Like, I remember Flowtown. Like, like, you know, like, I remember everything. Like, just everything. And so, I, um, because of that, I guess, I don't lose the lessons because I could never, ever understand why someone would knowingly make the same mistake twice. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm fighting it. Hey, I pushed the call for a second. Thank, thank you for this. You're I, welcome. I uh, wanted to ask you a question back. You were talking about self-awareness. Yes. And where do you get most of your self-awareness? Is this one of the things that you feel like you've had? Or, yes. or is it life lessons? Is it really the shit, like the, 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 the hard moments? Um, can you give some examples of where you've had some I think uh, it started, big awakenings, yeah. I guess, I, right? Yeah, you know what? So I realized somewhere around sophomore year of high school that suddenly way more people than I wanted found me annoying. <laughs> that was probably the first time I was like, maybe I was losing my, like, I remember that. I remember early high school being like, wait a minute, they're not highly entertained and finding this interesting? Um, so I do remember, I, I think it's DNA. I don't know where I get it, I don't, but I, when you said let, like, I do remember from 12 to 18, it, I found my way how to make this more palpable, and I thought I really owned it and got great in it until I became more of a public figure, and every time a piece of content on Facebook goes viral, 4,000 people say I'm a face. So, you know, I think that, I think that I try to deploy self-awareness as much as possible, and now 
I'm self-aware that 20% of people on First Impact are not gonna <laughs> like it. Um, and so I do think it came from the lessons of life. Like, I, I think one of the things that one has to do is accept themselves, right? And I think once, I'm, once I did that, then it didn't hurt so much to have 20%, two out of 10 people not like it. Um, because the cool thing with me is I also have three out of 10 people that like it so much and think it's the coolest thing they've ever seen and you just play it out. And then for me, because I know I'm grounded in very good truths and principles, I get a second at bat at it, which is it's so rewarding for people that thought you were to turn and become an advocate. I would tell you probably the 50 biggest advocates I have on social initially hated me. Was there, you know, a lot of people are in fear yes. of being authentic, right? Yes. They, they don't even know necessarily who they are or even the unknown unknowns about their own personality. No, that's a really good point. That's right. Right, okay. And so, but you just, you have always had that. What would you, what advice I just tell give? people that they're going to die. You're going to die. Right, you're going to die, right? So just you're going to die. Okay. And at 91, when you're sitting there, you're like, you know what? <laughs> I mean it. One of the, this is interesting to me. This is, where, this is where hard wiring is something I believe in tremendously. It took me, again, when this started all happening in my 20s and 30s and 40s, and I've started realizing this. Boy, did I, was I attracted to old people as a kid. Like one of, I don't know if any of you did this, and, and then maybe we have some connections that way. I was weird as like, I, like, like my friend, we'd be, like I, I grew up in the 80s when, which meant you played outside, right? And so when we were outside playing, grandparents would visit once in a while and maybe because I didn't have, my, both my grandparents, three of my four grandparents died before I was born. People died young in Russia because they didn't want to live. Um, uh, and, so, and so maybe that's why, but, and I used to think that's why, but now I just realize, I mean, I learned a lot from just talking to old people and I think I picked that up at, like, I, you know what I smelled? Regret. And I'm gonna tell you something. As scary as it is for you to judge me and for you to not think I'm cool and this and that, what's way scarier, the thing I, I think one of the scariest things in the world is regret. You know why? You can't fix it. I can fix you thinking I'm in face over time. I can't fix being 96 and becoming 64 again. And so I think I'm so visceral to the regret that I smelled on old people as a kid that it impacted me heavily. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tanya. Hey, Tanya. Uh, work with teen entrepreneurs, have four of them here, and I was just wondering if you could give them a piece of advice um, as kids that are in high school, 15, yep. 16 years old, that are running successful companies, trying to balance you know, everything in life. Yep. Um, any piece of advice that you may have for them? Yes, kids, don't listen to Tanya. <laughs> don't listen to your parents. Definitely don't listen to your teachers. Don't listen to me. Listen to yourself. And I mean that. You'll learn, if you're wrong, you'll learn. And it's much better to learn by tasting it than reading about it or being told about it. That's my advice, Tanya. You got it. 
That's, and by the way, that's advice to entrepreneurs, right? Like that's what you, like, that's not advice to operators who are gonna be CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. They've gotta listen to parents. They've gotta like, they're gonna play that game. But if you're an entrepreneur, there's, it's binary. You've gotta go completely the other way. Because the market's the judge. And it's back to what you and I talked about. When you're the entrepreneur, it's lonely. You know, mom's not there to save you. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I'm a New Yorker and a Jets fan, so. I love you already. Jets. <laughs> I also love um, your hair. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, I think you kind of sort of answered sort of what I was going to say. I'm kind of new to not giving a f- Okay. It's a new thing for me. Yep. It's kind of happened. Like, but has it always been there? Yeah. It's always been there, right? Yes. I was like always nice to people. But you're like, you know what? Let this go. Yeah, I've just kind of I'm let- nice to people. No, no, no. <laughs> I know, but I also, I feel less responsible for people's feelings. Let me tell you something real quick, and some of you know this. I'm only razzy on stage when I'm not talking to anybody individually. I'm actually very uncomfortable with confrontation on a one-to-one level and I would never, ever think about hurting somebody's feelings. For, I mean, why? Yeah. You know, so I'm it's, with you. You know, it's just when, so, I'm more visceral when somebody else is doing something to some, I'm more of like, he's being mean to him and I'll, that's when I'll jump in, yeah. you know? Yes, and I, I don't mean just being mean. I get it. Although I have no problem with confrontation whatsoever. Um, I, I'm a lawyer, so it kind of, and a New Yorker. But you know so what, I apologize. My, I would actually argue my biggest weakness ever was my lack, my visceral reaction to confrontation, which made me very bad at firing for about 10 to 12 years because I was terrible at it. Like I was terrible at it. I was so full of Like I would never give any critical feedback and then you just walk in and be fired because I got pent up enough courage to finally do it. I was terrible at it. And, it, and I, I was really bad at it and it's something I'm very embarrassed of. And the worst version of it is it's how I broke up with girls and I hate to say it out loud because I wanna be really, like it was the, it's the single thing I'm most embarrassed of of the way I broke up with girls that I dated because I wasn't a man enough to break up to their face. That's good. <laughs> Good to get the po- it's good to get the poison out. <laughs> All right, go ahead. We, we forgive you. Thank you. <laughs> so my question really is like, what's the ROI on like not giving a f- and being unapologetically yourself? Because that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Speed. Speed. The thing that you, when you're not spending any time worrying, you're spending time on executing. Speed. And I, and I like the way a lot of you reacted to that because that's a weird answer to that question. But I can see that a lot of you caught it and some of you understand it and do it. Speed is the game in what we all do for a living. And if you're not worried about dwelling on what people think, you're in execution mode. And I do everything in my possession, everything in my power, excuse me, to put myself in full execution mode at all times. Awesome, thank you. You got it. All right, now I have to go. I love you guys. Thank you, that was so